Welcome. This is False Flag Weekly News, the one-stop shop where you can keep track of all of the horrible, horrendous, hideous happenings that transpired during the week. And that way you can spend every other hour of the week doing something uh, more enjoyable and important. Uh, you've done your duty to the truth by paying attention to truth jihad. Uh, I'm sorry, to False Flag Weekly News and waging the truth jihad. You all out struggle for truth with me and the people I bring on like Dr. E. Michael Jones. Hey, welcome, Mike. How are you doing? Thank you, Kevin. Good to be here. Okay, well, let's get moving on the show. We have, uh, there's always more than enough to talk about, but we have to always start out here with our breaking news. And I like to start our breaking news with a sort of, you know, a little bit of a music. Wait a second. I do have to get the music. I have to do the proper kind of screen share and click on the share sound and all that fun stuff. So there we go. Uh, the breaking news today is that Israel's UN ambassador, Gilad Erdin, has said that he's uh, he's made made some very serious threats. And I, I got this from an AI news aggregator, and that's all you're going to have. It's AI news aggregators pretty soon, unless you contribute to False Flag Weekly News. Anyway, here's the story, complete with music. Copyright Israel's exception. United Nations ambassador threatens to gas himself if UN doesn't condemn Hamas. Last Monday, Gilad Erlon, Israel's UN ambassador, brandished a yellow star, and said he wouldn't take it off until the UN condemned Hamas. Erlon's UN colleagues, as well as some Israeli officials, rolled their eyes. Erlon, angered by the frosty reception, got an Auschwitz-style number tattoo at his local tattoo parlor and spent Tuesday flashing it at his colleagues. Most were unimpressed. But the ambassadors from Tuvalu, the Maldives, and Liechtenstein all said it looked very nice. Now Erlon is upping the ante. Still wearing the yellow star and sporting the tattoo, the Israeli ambassador told the General Assembly this morning that unless it voted to condemn Hamas, he would build a gas chamber in his basement, buy a bottle of Cyclone B, and gas himself to death. The General Assembly then voted 120 to 14, with 45 abstentions, in favor of a resolution that would provide funding for Erlon to purchase the bottle, build the chamber, and carry out his threat. Subsequently the Security Council passed a similar binding resolution, but it was quashed by a U.S. veto. Okay, that's our, uh, our breaking news story for the day. <laughs> Here are our images. The uh, uh, This one kind of speaks for itself, the knife attack. And uh, let's move into the PSAs. If you want us to keep doing this so you don't have to get all your news from those pesky AI news aggregators, go to truthjihad.com. Click on False Flag Weekly News. It takes you to oh, to this page, and you can get, find your way to our fundraiser where we currently have $0 for next week. So it'd be good to raise a few bucks there. Let's get into the stories of the week. So Dr. E. Michael Jones, is the IDF finally getting the courage to crawl into those Hamas tunnels of doom? We're told that the long-awaited land invasion of Gaza has begun. And of course, they're still slaughtering civilians from the air. Uh, hundreds of people being just blown to bits, uh, majority women and children in places like the Jebelia refugee camp. But the Israelis may be actually going in to try to do a little bit of fighting on the ground, exposing themselves to danger. Uh, are they finally uh, growing some courage or what's where is this all going? Uh, I think that there was a, a early news story about the uh, the uh, village of Bar Baraj, I believe it's called. Uh, and uh, that the Israelis showed up and they, they were repelled. 
there are stories now that they're moving in uh, from the north and from the uh, north, from the northeast and from the south, converging on Gaza City, uh, and they're making progress through this area, but it's open. It's open area. So they don't, they, the, the uh, Hamas does not have an advantage here. Uh, but once they get to the city, they're going to get to the tunnels. And uh, at that, I, I think that they've already tried and they've already been repelled. Uh, Max Blumenthal said uh, a report that they had uh, the Hamas has just had destroyed 22 Israeli vehicles when they got to one of the, the crucial spots there. Um, I personally think that the uh, J- uh, Jab- Jabalia uh, attack was an attempt to distract everyone from the fact that they're failing with this, with the ground offensive. I think that they're trying to just, I, I, I hate to, I hate to think that all those people would have to die simply to distract people's attention. But I think that's what's going on. They can drop all the bombs they want, but they still have not been able to engage in the ground offensive that they've been promising. The Israeli military is really good at, at murdering civilians and sniper killing little children and dropping bombs from a safe distance on civilian housing blocks and things like that. In terms of actual fighting, there's really no reason to think that they're uh, much of a worthy opponent even. And so here's the uh, press TV version of this uh, pointing out that Hamas and the Islam, or the, the uh, Palestinian resistance is saying that they're really getting nowhere, confirming what you just said, Mike. And then we, we got this... Uh, Video from the resistance sources. Oops, back. See, I think I have to stop the share briefly. And uh oh, is that going to work? Okay, we're going to see if we can play this. Uh, and we got to make sure that we we do play it. Okay, here we are sharing. And here's the video that Hamas uh, shared of a Hamas drone um, successfully, you know, hitting this bunch of. Israeli soldiers. Um, Hamas does target soldiers, unlike the Israelis, who are mostly dropping vastly bigger bombs on civilian uh, settlements and killing women and children. Whereas Hamas, being anti-terrorists rather than terrorists like the Israelis are, is going after the Israeli military. So um, it's uh, it's it's getting crazy, and we should all be praying for that ceasefire. But it looks like. Hamas is and the Islamic resistance and the Palestinian resistance is basically holding its own. Um, meanwhile, this genocide is transpiring. I mean, what else can you call it? And they're just turning an entire city of two million people in, into rubble. Uh, and inter- I talked about this with Bishop Williamson a little bit that uh, Bibi Netanyahu is citing the Old Testament in essentially excusing this, you know, killing the women and children and infants and cattle and sheep and camels and donkeys, as uh, Yahweh uh, tells the prophet uh, Samuel to instruct King Saul. So, you know, uh, Mike, you're, you know, you're, you are, a, you know, a Bible-believing Christian. Is this the right interpretation of the Bible? No, absolutely not. No, this, this is one of the pernicious effects of the uh, Schofield Bible, uh, which got promoted by Louis Untermeyer, who had big connections, literary connections, and got it published by Oxford University Press. It's a completely heretical understanding of uh, the scripture. Okay, f- first of all, uh, the the there is no connection between the people, uh, the 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 Poles and Russians who showed up uh, involved in the ethnic cleansing of the Palestinian people, and the the, the Hebrew people. 
uh, of the time that uh, of the group that Samuel is talking about. There is no biological connection. Okay, they're not Semites. The Ashkenazi are not Semites. But more important, there's no theological connection. The crucial thing you have to understand when you're reading the Old Testament is that it's been superseded by the New Testament. This is the whole point of the coming of Jesus Christ. The fact that uh, the Jewish Messiah did arrive, the Jews had to choose whether they're going to accept the Messiah on his terms or on their terms. They decided to reject his terms, and they killed him. And at this point, the Jewish people lost any consider the Hebrew people lost any consideration as God's chosen people. This was supposed to be transposed. The old covenant came to an end at this point. Um, it came to an end when Jesus Christ was crucified. It came to obvious an obvious end when they chose uh, Barabbas. They chose revolution over acceptance of Jesus Christ, and the Romans came and destroyed their temple. That was the end of that covenant, the end of the Mosaic covenant, the end of any possibility that these people later on could claim the rights that the Hebrews claimed when they created that temple. It's gone. It's broken. And the biggest crisis in the Catholic Church right now, I've already described the crisis in Christian Zionism, all those evangelical sects. The biggest crisis in the Catholic Church is basically dual covenant theology which grows up after Vatican II, uh, trying to come to some type of accommodation of the Holocaust narrative, which the Jews have been promoting for uh, ever since the end of World War II, by saying uh, what? By saying what? That the Jews can be saved without baptism? That's impossible. That is not the teaching of the Catholic Church, that the Jews somehow, somehow have some right to Israel, that's gone. They have no rights to any territory on the face of this earth. And they don't have okay? the right to, to murder men, women, children, infants, and so, so on, do they? What, what happens? What happens when you take the Bible out of the church? They have no right to an exclusive genocidal interpretation of the Old Testament. The Old Testament reached fulfillment in the New Testament. The New Testament explicates the Old Testament. That is the that is the teaching of the Catholic Church. That is the only thing that can make sense out of this mishmash of proof texting to justify genocide of the sort that you're seeing here. Even if Yahweh told Samuel to do that, well, I, well look, I'm not saying even. Yahweh has a right to take the life of anyone who gave he gave life to in the first place. And if that was the order then, it has nothing to do with the situation now. And the fact that he's trying to drag these texts into the war in Gaza as a justification for genocide is blasphemy. There's nothing short of blasphemy. And from an Islamic perspective, these people, people like him, uh, have misinterpreted this scripture. Uh, and are continuing to misinterpret it, uh, and they may have they actually distorted it. And so, according to our Islamic view, the so-called Old Old Testament that we have right now is not a hundred percent perfect. In any case, uh, to Bibi, we're all Amalek, and so uh, we're all fit for extermination by him and his chosenites. We better start pushing back. And of course, Palestine is leading the way in pushing back. Uh, but Bibi and his genocidal lunatics are working very hard to ethnically cleanse Palestine, that is to finish the job. You know, like Hitler didn't finish the job. Well, the Zionists didn't finish the job either, but now they would like to. But will they be able to? 
Now, this press TV story references two separate Netanyahu allies, high-level people who are putting out this plan to fully get rid of all Palestinians from Gaza and perhaps all of the West Bank as well. And here's a Jonathan Cook article talking about that possibility. However, Biden just met with uh, al-Sisi of Egypt, who is absolutely not going to let the Zionists push the Palestinians into Egypt. And Biden accepted that and agreed with it. So it looks like, according to Moon of Alabama, that uh, Biden has forced Bibi to call off his plans for ethnically cleansing Gaza. What do you think? Is is, is Bibi still going to keep trying or is, is he stymied? I don't think he can. I don't think he can with the, without the co- cooperation of America. I mean, I mean, obviously, the Americans could stop sending bombs there tomorrow or whatever. Even if uh, uh, they face a lot of political pressure. But this is the role that America should play. It's the role that America always has played uh, before this of being the honest broker and putting a muzzle on the Israelis. And that's why the Arabs would talk to the to the Americans, because they could uh, count on the Americans uh, forcing them to exercise some type of restraint. If if a CZ, uh, uh, you're right. If by if if the Egyptians, primarily the Egyptians, say no, well, what's Biden going to do? You can't do that. But this doesn't change the intention, uh, which became obvious. They have the bombing campaign, and then they're dropping leaflets telling everybody in northern Gaza to leave. That sounds like ethnic cleansing to me. This is yeah. the the man the man who resigned just uh, yesterday. I forget his name now from the United Nations. Called this a, a textbook case of ethnic cleansing. Uh, that's the intention. But, no, he, uh, he actually he used the word genocide. He said it's a textbook case of. I'm genocide. sorry. I'm sorry. You're right. It was a textbook case for genocide. You're right. Not ethnic cleansing, but ethnic cleansing is part of the whole whole plan here. That's obvious from the the sources that you cited. Uh, but it's not going to happen. So the big question is, uh, how long is Bibi going to last? This is a waiting game. So uh, Hamas does not have to defeat uh, the Israelis. Hamas does not have to defeat the IDF. They have to hold on long enough until this pressure can be brought to bear from to Bibi, probably from the Israeli people who are not uh, totally on board with this at all. Yeah, that's right. And neither are the American people, including a lot of American Jews. This uh, story covered the chaos in Congress on Tuesday when Blinken uh, was talking about uh, why we can't support a ceasefire, why we have to let the Israelis keep perpetrating genocide in Gaza. It only got interrupted by a bunch of protesters who uh, painted red paint or blood or whatever it was all over their hands. There they are behind Blinken in Congress. And uh, and here they are disrupting Congress. And in fact, Mike, our old friend, uh, Medea Benjamin, I think you were you were there in Tehran when she was there with us, right? I think I was. Yeah. 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 She, she she and Gareth Porter sort of were a disruptive influence. They were the only two who actually believed the official version of 9-11 and the Holocaust and a lot of other things. Mm-hmm. But in any case, uh, despite that, she's a brave lady. And here she is getting thrown out of Congress after uh, participating in this protest. So it isn't just just the Israelis who have their doubts about Bibi. I call him Bibi, by the way, not because it's a cute little nickname. Here in Morocco, the word Bibi is a slang term for the male member. So it basically means putz or prick. Okay. And so I like to use the word Bibi as often as possible. Anyway, uh, so here they are protesting. And uh, that's, I'm, I'm actually heartened a little bit. You know, I'm 
And I don't know if God really needs to completely scrub the North American continent of, of this uh, vermin version of human life that seems to dominate there, as long as there are some good people like this. So it's, it's kind of cheered me up a little bit to see some people who don't like genocide. The, the, this reminds me of that uh, the Spanish general Mola, who said there was a fifth column uh, in the city that was going to cause it to fall during the Spanish Civil War. Is there a fifth column among the uh, among the Jews? There seems to be. There seems to be more and more uh, Jews who are upset uh, with the uh, Israel, with Netanyahu, basically, with Netanyahu constantly pressing uh, a more and more extreme version of uh, whatever that myth is there of that uh, these people are somehow the Hebrews who have a right to this land, uh, that everyone else is subhuman and so on and so forth. There seems to be more and more resistance. I don't think uh, over the long haul that Bibi can hold out yeah. against these forces. He's the whole point. It is going to be a replay of the Ukraine. I'm going to make that uh, assertion. In other words, if you can do it really quickly, uh, everyone will accept it as a fait accompli after the fact. But uh, if you get bogged down in Gaza City, you're going to end up like Zelensky. Have you heard about Zelensky lately? Time Magazine just did an article on Zelensky comparing him to Hitler in the bunker. Time Magazine, it was. Uh, it's the, actually a pretty good comparison. <laughs> but Time Magazine was the mouthpiece of the CIA. Maybe it still is the mouthpiece of the CIA, but there is widespread unhappiness with, with Zelensky because it's taking too long. It's costing too much. He's becoming disconnected from reality. I'm telling you that they are not going to talk. No one is going to tolerate a year and a half siege of Gaza city. It's not going to happen. And it looks as if it's not going to happen quickly either. The, the, the Israelis are not going to be able to go in uh, and cleanse uh, Gaza City any more than the uh, than the Russians were able to take over Bakhmut overnight. It's going to be a it's going to be, the the situations militarily are very similar. It's a long protracted slog uh, where a lot of people are going to die. And at the, uh, over this course of time, I think that the Israeli people are simply going to lose the will to 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 support Netanyahu. Yeah, at some point they're going to have to deal with this horrific failure uh, that they experienced on October 7th. And we'll be talking a little bit about the various interpretations of that in a moment. But first, is the long-awaited escalation towards World War III starting? That's the scary question. The Yemen has jumped in. Now, the militia media says, oh, it's just the Houthi movement there, you know, trying to marginalize it. No, no, the Houthis represent Yemen. They are Yemen right now. They are the de facto government and military of Yemen. And they just declared war on Israel and fired off a barrage of ballistic missiles and drones. And so we're told they were shot down. We're always told that. But uh, quite often, some of them get through and they don't want to tell us that. So Yemen's jumping into the war and uh, Hezbollah is sitting there with hundreds of thousands of really good rockets. Uh, they have a hundred times better arsenal than they had when they defeated Israel in 2006. And... Iran doesn't want a regional war, but at some point, if this genocide continues or gets bad enough, there's no choice. Everybody's going to have to jump into it. So what do you think? Is there going to be an escalation anytime soon? I, I, First of all, I don't think the Houthi are a significant player in this thing. They can fire the rockets. I don't think the rockets are significant. On the other hand, I do think Hezbollah's rockets are significant. They're obviously a lot closer, and there are a lot more of them, and they're a, a much bigger threat. 
than the than the the, the Houthis are. Uh, but I think that the uh, the State Department, uh, and I think Biden is going to have to go along with this. The the interest of the State Department is to prevent this from escalating. And you could look at all these aircraft carriers as simply maybe a, a way of uh, threatening, but not uh, acting on this thing. They 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 the, the real threat is is I think the real threat is coming from a certain faction in the United States, and that faction I think is symbolized best by the FBI. Mr. Ray just came out with a statement saying that uh, Iranians are going to start targeting American government officials in the United States of America. Now, far be it from me to question the head of the FBI, but that sounds like a false flag waiting to happen. And far be it from me to question the FBI, but the FBI is notorious. It's the biggest terrorist organization in the United States of America, and it's notorious for concocting plots. Uh, to get to set up, to get people killed, to to put weapons into hands of people so that they can uh, create this false flag and, and pursue their agenda. So I think that right now is the biggest threat. So you, so you think if a retarded Iranian teenager surrounded by FBI handlers and informants goes and, and shoots uh, a high level U.S. government official, that we should be suspicious. I think so. Yes. Okay, I agree. I know uh, that. I know that makes me a conspiracy theorist, but I I think that's exactly what we should be. Okay. Well, how how big a conspiracy theorist do we want to be about this whole October seventh thing? That's a question that's been rapidly debated uh, in the alternative media, including over at the Uns Review, where uh, Ron Uns has been holding down the fort on it wasn't a false flag. And I actually agree with that this time. I'm a notorious conspiracy theorist. I know that there have been a ton of false flags, including a whole lot that most people don't know about and that even alternative media people in general often don't realize were false flags. However, this time, I don't think I don't think we really should think of October 7th or Operational Alexa Storm as a false flag. There may have been interpenetration of spy versus spy and things like that. However, let's uh, look at the argument for it being a false flag. James Perloff put out a really good article in terms of the historical background in which he went over the long history of Israeli false flags and the Abu Nidal strategy. Now, he's right about Abu Nidal. Abu Nidal was a psychotic uh, Palestinian who was used by Israel to make Palestinians look bad and to kill off all, all the effective Palestinian resistance fighters back in the day. And that part's all true. But James, what he gets wrong, he's right about this part. Abu Nidal had these top PLO people killed, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, he alienated the Palestinians' best friends. Everything he did was counterproductive. Yeah, that's, I, that's basically true. However, a lot of uh, when when James Perloff gets to what's going on today, uh, he's totally wrong about a lot of things. For instance, this guy is not his name isn't Moses. I forget what it was. It's not Moses, and this guy is not a Hamas founder. This Hassan Yusuf guy. He's just a, a low level twerp who infiltrated Hamas for the Mossad, ended up in witness protection in the U.S. But he's he's not even important. So this notion that Mossad is so great at totally steering and infiltrating and controlling all of the Palestinian resistance is an insult to the Palestinian resistance. And I don't think Perloff um, gets it, you know, he, I don't think he provides any evidence for us to think that today Hamas has been infiltrated by Israel any more than Israel has been infiltrated by Hamas. So that was my take on that article. What do you think, Mike? 
I think it was long on historical background and short on the contemporary situation. Yep. He didn't he didn't really make uh, I mean obviously yes that's that's been happening uh, obviously but the it's too soon to tell as 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 uh, Cho and Lai said about the French Revolution, it, it's yeah. too soon to tell. Yes, you know okay. we, we don't we don't have enough information. It, I, I I think that per, personally, the man the main man who benefited from this was uh, Bibi Netanyahu to save his reputation uh, as really? the leader, the courageous leader of Israel. The main man who uh, lost out was uh, Zelensky in the Ukraine because no one wants to talk to him anymore. So that would a point to uh, if you're going to ask the question cui bono i think that's that's pretty clear but wait wait a minute Netanyahu's go he's he's in a really bad situation now i mean he's going to be he'll be lucky if he doesn't get lynched within the next couple of months yeah but but he put himself in that situation because he's a man who believes in desperate measures this obviously this is a desperate measure but i think he is he benefit he always benefits when there's war Whenever the, look, this is the fundamental reality of Israel, they can't get along with each other. They are incapable of governing anyone, including themselves. And so they always degenerate into an internecine warfare uh, the minute there's peace. And so Netanyahu knows that. And the only way he can govern Israel is by creating a war. I think that's clear from history. Okay. So you're still open to the false flag interpretation. I guess I will be as soon as I see some good arguments and evidence but i haven't seen any that yeah i mean uh, to have it to have a clear explanation one month less than one month uh, one month after that that's that's a kind of uh a stretch right but but see you know like after 9-11 people who knew the region both people in my field arabic islamic studies and pretty much every single muslim i talked to in madison wisconsin meaning dozens of them all well all the muslims and as fair number of the experts in the region were like really suspicious you know like this this official story sound this doesn't sound right al-qaeda doesn't have that capability this isn't going to help the uh, so-called al-qaeda cause you know etc 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 the whole thing just didn't make sense but on october 7th the reaction of everybody who knows about the region and certainly the entire arab muslim world is like yeah (laughs) i mean uh this is really good for our side there's no way this could be good for israel strategically and it it just doesn't you know it doesn't look like it would be anything that the israelis would want they're not mutually exclusive if it's bad for israel doesn't necessarily mean it's not good for bibi netanyahu that's the whole Mm -hmm. point of situations like this i think january 6th was a a false flag Mm -hmm. Uh, i think that's clear now Uh, but but i mean how about six weeks? Can right, we, but, see we... that, but see, wait, wait. But see, January 6th, it was like obvious that that was good for the Democrats and it was a way to demonize Trump supporters. It was You could see right away that that was going to play out in such a way that was you know advantageous to the side that did the false flag. Same with 9-11 and same with all these other false flags. This one, no. This one, I can't, I, even Netanyahu, I mean, Netanyahu, it, it, I, it looks to me like he's, he's even in a more untenable position now because he's going to get blamed it, for look, this massive security failure. Yeah, he's a gambler. I'm not saying it's good for Israel. I'm saying it's a good it's a gam he's a gambler and he threw the dice on the chance of of winning big when he was deep in the hole. He's doubling down. So I'm saying it's good for BB Netanyahu but not good for Israel. And on the long haul, it's not going to be good for BB Netanyahu either. Okay. But well, he could be he could be preclude. that crazy. <laughs> he could be a desperate gambler doubling down. Yeah. Is that a good idea to double down when you're losing? Yeah, you know, and it's it's oh, what the the scenario that 
seems not completely implausible to me would be some kind of relatively, you know, some expecting something smaller, try, the Israelis deliberately trying, or somebody on the Israeli side linked to Netanyahu, kind of opening things up a little bit, expecting something smaller, and then getting shocked by what actually happened with all these generals getting kidnapped. I mean, yeah. Is, I, there are like 300, it sounds like there may be as many as 300 hostages now. The Israelis did not want that. They did not want the level of defeat that they got. And Netanyahu didn't want it either because he's going to get take the blame for this. At the, at the end of the day, He again, he's going to be lucky if he doesn't get lynched. Yeah, yeah. I agree. So here, here's uh, here's Bibi Netanyahu. Again, remember, Bibi is a slang term for the male member here in Morocco. That's why I call him that. It's not out of affection, that's for sure. Anyway, uh, here he is uh, playing the puppet strings for Daesh or ISIS, which is a false flag terror group, which Israel was allied with. Israel was, in fact, treating wounded Daesh or ISIS fighters in its hospitals. Uh, however, Hamas, not so much. Yeah, they funded Hamas in the early days, but not so much anymore, to say the least. Anyway... Propaganda lies. Let's move into the propaganda lies section. This is a Ron Unz article. That was really good. That got into the deeper uh, factors behind the way this tribal Jewish thing has gone so far off the rails and created this horrific situation. That plus his arguments about the false flag scenario, I thought were pretty sound. It was a really good piece. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, it was good. Good. He's always on target with things like this. Yeah. Okay. So we'll uh, and and his his exploration of the uh, the Jewish power issue, the way that uh, individual Jews are can be just perfectly nice, normal people, and there's but there's something they're carrying around that when you get a whole bunch of them together, it's like like you know plutonium. Right? You get enough. This, is, that, this yeah. is this is why I think we should use the term the the Jews. The Jews does not mean all Jews. Mm -hmm. Or the even Jews, any individual Jews. There obviously there are individuals of, of all different stripes. There are individuals who are opposed to all this type of stuff. But what you, you have to take into account that there is a political entity that acts in its own interest, and that's what we call the Jews. All the way from the time of Christ. We're talking about some type of divine inspiration here. Uh, because Saint John, who was divinely inspired by God to write his gospel, used the term. Hoy Judeoi, the Jews. And it becomes clear when you read the gospel that it does not include all Jews. Does it include the Blessed Mother? When you say the Jews killed Christ, does that mean the Blessed Mother stood there and yelled, crucify him at the foot of the cross? No, it doesn't mean that. It means the Jews, the Sanhedrin, the, the major Jewish organizations, whatever you want to call them, this political mobilization of these people that oftentimes offers up little Jews on the altar so that they can attain their big Jew agenda, like the Levon affair and all those things that were quoted in that uh, that uh, Pearl, Perloff uh, article. That's why it's important to use this term. Because on the one hand, you can't say all Jews. That's wrong. The Jews does not mean all Jews. There are obviously Jews who are against what's going on, but they are up against the mobilization of the Jewish people that is causing this to happen. Okay. And if anybody who has a problem with that, who reacts badly to the notion of the Jews, really should read this article for a very kind of um, calm and level-headed analysis of the factors behind that. So... 
how about the Gray Zone article? Uh, we're, we're in the propaganda lies section. And I think Max Blumenthal, who is, of course, of uh, Jewish ethnicity mm-hmm. and is a pretty good truth teller on issues related to military, uh, to Palestine and Israel, here uh, uncovers more. There's more and more evidence now that it wasn't Hamas running wild, a bunch of crazy, savage Hamas killers that just slaughtered all of these people and caused all this devastation that we saw. In fact, it looks like most of the slaughter and devastation was done by the Israeli forces, both in in crossfires, in uh, situations where helicopter gunships go out, they don't know who they're supposed to shoot at, so they just shoot at everybody. And he's found lots of evidence for this. So I, I think we can now be pretty certain that the majority of the Israeli civilian victims on October 7th were actually killed by Israeli forces, both due to crossfire and unintentional uh, stupidity, basically, uh, and also due to the actual intentional killing of both hostages and hostage takers that is part of the Hannibal Doctrine that the IDF teaches its soldiers. Yeah, I think it flows naturally from uh, Netanyahu's use of the term Amalek which is uh, gives theological approval to indiscriminate killing. Uh, as, as this, this is you notice this throughout the discussion here that the idea of innocent non-combatants does not does not uh, does not compute with these Jewish ideologues yeah, like Ben, ben, ben Shapiro. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, basically, uh, so we had this this more than once uh, people bringing up Dresden. I brought it up in my uh, article I wrote, but uh, a rabbi, Rabbi Dove Fisher, saying there were no innocent people in Dresden when the firebombing took place and killed 300,000 refugees because uh, Dresden voted for Hitler. This this is the type of anti-logic, anti-immoral, uh, anti-Logos type of thinking that pervades this group of people. They are, as I said in my book, The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit, they are in rebellion against Logos. Practical reason is Logos. Practical reason is morality. They shove it aside, and so naturally, you, it's going to lead to the indiscriminate killing of innocent people, women and children, babies, so on. Yeah. Yeah, well, Blumenthal really uh, cuts to the chase here. With he says the most jarring images of charred Israeli corpses, Israeli homes reduced to rubble, and burned-out hulks of vehicles presented to Western media were, in fact, the handiwork of tank crews and helicopter pilots blanketing Israeli territory with shells, cannon fire, and hellfire missiles. So much for the supreme value of Jewish life. Uh, Anyway, uh, yeah, here's uh, here's some more from that article. There, there's one of the typical pictures. Just look at the pictures that they presented of this devastation and, and you know, try to imagine that devastation being done with the, the small arms that Hamas was carrying. It's ridiculous. So this is uh, obviously true. The only question is the extent of it. It does appear that in some cases, some of the uh, Palestinian fighters did shoot uh, pretty indiscriminately, and not everybody they shot at was necessarily armed at the time. Uh, but again, the vast uh, bulk of the atrocities, as always, were coming from the Israeli side. You can just be, you know, always bet on that. Uh, so those are the the propaganda, horrible propaganda lies uh, that are starting to be cut through. I don't know if the establishment's ever going to admit any of this. Uh, the geopolitical outlook now is not looking good for Israel. Again, a reason I don't think this really computes as much of a false flag is that this is all play, it's guaranteed to play out badly for Israel and better for Palestine. And here's a Richard Medhurst analysis I thought was really good. I don't like videos that much. I usually like text, but this video is actually worth watching. Richard Medhurst points out 
that there's this gas pipeline thing that's so key to all of these wars, whether it's the war on Syria, you know, and, and like Qatar lined up with the U.S. and Israel on the in the war on Syria because they were going to do the a gas pipeline. Uh, you know, they wanted to do their gas pipeline deal. And now Israel is uh, also wants to do this gas pipeline through the new Middle East plan through Saudi Arabia and Jordan and the Emirates. But now that's disappeared. The pop, the possibility of that is now absolutely gone uh, because of Alexa Storm and this aftermath. So this again, this is all playing out uh, against the Israelis. And I think I think Medhurst gets this right. And this this looks like this could actually be a tipping point towards the multipolar world. This could be where the U, the Zionist occupied Anglo world goes down in flames. Well, I think that you what what the capital that they had at the beginning was the uh, the Holocaust, and the Jews had suffered in the Holocaust. I just wrote a book on this uh, called the Holocaust Narrative, which examines that the beginning, and it's not exactly what they say it was, uh, but there was this moral capital that they had from it, and I think they've they've pissed it all away. The high point I think was 1967. When they had that sense, you had the sense that they were courageous fighting, you know, the David uh, fighting against all these Arabs. That's gone now. They've lost. You can't have more the moral high ground when you're dropping uh, bunker buster bombs on a, a, a refugee camp. You can't do that. And you can't pretend that simply because Fox News is, and CNN are sympathetic to it, that the rest of the world is going to go along the same way. So it's all it's all disappearing. And you can't you can't without that, you can simply they cannot summon the will to prosecute this war, especially if it's going to be a long term thing. And I think that's the why time is running out for 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 Israel, but especially for Netanyahu. The question is, I, I've, I've, so I've said many times, can the, 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 the adults at the State Department take the hands of the, the Jews' hands off the steering wheel? Well, the question is, can the adults in Israel take Netanyahu's hands off the steering wheel before he drives the car over the cliff? That's that's the big question that's coming, uh, going to come due in the next couple weeks. Yeah, will, will Netanyahu and his wife end up like uh, Adolf and Eva Brown in the bunker? Uh, you mentioned Zelensky, and you know the Israeli Zelensky's, yeah. Zelensky's already in the bunker, according He's to Time Magazine. He's already in the bunker. Bibi's heading for it if he isn't already there, and whoever replaces him very well may be too. But I thought the geopolitical aspect of this in Medhurst's uh, explanation was really interesting, and uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if when whatever solution or uh, settlement comes out of all of this. It's coming going to be coming from China and to some extent Russia and Iran and Turkey. It's not going to be coming from the U.S. The U.S. has totally destroyed its credibility as any kind of fair broker or anybody who can impose any kind of peace or settlement. But China's working on it. But guess what? Now that China is getting set up to be the probable broker here, look what we're hearing. Oh, no, China is full of anti-Semitism. It's surging online and the authorities are allowing it. If the authorities in China didn't allow anti-Semitism online, there wouldn't be any. But everybody in China is turning into a raging anti-Semite. Mm, okay. <laughs> I think it's wearing thin, don't you? I mean, is it just is a it little? Wearing, is I think it wearing the Chinese thin? agree with? I think a, a billion Chinese agree with us. <laughs> I th how it's like it's like America putting people under sanctions. Uh, at a certain point, it becomes counterproductive. Uh, when you when forty percent of the world's population is under sanctions, there's going to be a reaction, and that was precisely what the BRICS is, and China was involved in that. 
the same thing is happening with the anti-Semitism charge with that uh, thing we began with, with this ridiculous little uh, political theater here, the drama queen from uh, Israel putting a, a yellow star on his jacket. That wore out. It's worn <laughs> out. You, you, ha try, you, have, to you have to condemn Hamas or I'll wear this yellow star. Oh, man. <laughs> try something else. Try acting according to the moral law. Try that for an alternative. Stop playing the victim card. That is that it, the shelf life has expired. It's on that. See, it seems like the you know quasi-Marxist neo-Confucians over in China and the Muslims, including some pretty secularized Muslims, uh, are actually way ahead of the uh, Zionists here on the moral law. So maybe the settlement imposed by these people will be a lot better. Uh, how about the uh, geopolitical spinoff over here, Qatar versus India? Now, Qatar, as I mentioned, it's a U.S. ally. Uh, the U.S. has a huge military base in Qatar, which protects Qatar against the Saudi its Saudi rivals. Now, the Qatari leadership is big on freedom, and you know they're kind of half Muslim and half like liberal. And so they created Al Jazeera, which is very liberal, but it's a Muslim liberal outfit, very professional, very good. And Qatar lines up with the U.S. on some things, but is against the U.S. in some things, too. And right now, Qatar and, of course, Al Jazeera are very strongly lined up pro-Palestine. They always have been, really, but more so now than ever. And they just condemned a bunch of uh, Indian naval officers to death for spying for Israel, which has set off a huge diplomatic flap. And a lot of people in India are suggesting that India's solidarity with Israel is untenable. Well, uh, so Mike, how, how is how is this diplomatic flap? How does that uh, play out in terms of the geopolitics in India and its level of support for Israel? I think you have another instance where you have a, a, a political leader who has lost the trust of his people and is trying to hold on desperately to political power. And I'm talking about Narendra Modi, mm -hmm. who has been playing a double game for a long time now of basically uh, uh, appealing to the worst uh, elements of Hindu fundamentalism. Uh, the group, the RSS, is the big supporter of the BJP in India, and they engage in all kinds of attacks on Christians and Muslims uh, in India, while at the same time appealing to the oligarchs on the, on the outside and trying to make India into the cheap labor capital of the world and inviting them to come in and exploit that. So he's in an untenable situation. Uh, why would the Indians be spying on Qatar? I, I, there seems to be something that's... No, on behalf of Israel. Here. That is, the, is, the Israelis have penetrated India. They work closely with Indian intelligence services. They did that. They set up a bunch of anti-Pakistan, anti-Muslim false flags for, for the Indians. And this is probably just an extension of that level of cooperation, which a lot of people in India are starting to wonder about, especially as, as Israel shows itself up to be so... Uh, insanely genocidal and indeed incompetent and militarily weak as it showed as now it showed itself to be. But uh, so, so, tra traditionally, yeah. uh, they would they were allied. They allied themselves with Russia, with the Soviet Union. The Indians yeah. uh, did that as a. Uh, but then uh, if the if the Soviet Union is allied with China, the China is always been their nemesis. It's still their nemesis and trying to, to, to dominate the uh, Asian uh, continent, this the subcontinent there. So, is that why they would uh, get involved with the Israelis? There's some, there's something mysterious. Well, yeah, yeah, sure. It's I, I agree. I, I, well, you know, the U.S. is trying to slow the rise of China, 
and India is too. So naturally, India is going to have some things in common with the Americans and their Israeli masters. Well, moving on to the hostage crisis, uh, and Barbara Honiger, who wrote the book October Surprise about the U.S.-Iranian uh, hostage crisis back in 1979-1980, may come on my show pretty soon to talk about the comparisons between that and these Israeli hostages. And apparently, these Israeli propagandists are putting up posters of these hostages everywhere, and then a lot of pro-Palestine people are tearing them down. Well, this week, uh, one of these hostages was very eloquent in yelling at Netanyahu and saying, come on, let's have a ceasefire and a hostage exchange. That, and of course, Mike, that's what this whole Hamas operation was all about, was about getting some Israeli prisoners, preferably military ones, to swap for Palestinians. And Netanyahu, of course, responded to this hostage video by calling it cruel. Now, Netanyahu calling somebody cruel is, uh, is pretty funny, I guess, in a very dark sort of way. Uh, so where's this hostage thing going, Mike? It's going to undermine his position, uh, because, uh, so what, what is his solution to the hostage crisis? Send the Israelis into the tunnels. Well, they're not doing that. And the longer it goes on, the more pressure there's going to be on Netanyahu. He's pro he's proposing a quick solution, a quick military solution that is impossible. It's impossible. First of all, you cannot ethnically cleanse all of the Palestinians. That's not going to happen, certainly not short term and not long term now either. Secondly, you cannot have uh, a, a successful, quick, what, what am I going to say, an Entebbe-like Resolution to this hostage crisis, where uh, Bibi's brother, Bibi's brother died in this attempt, but they, they show up in Entebbe and they rescue, they they storm the plane and it's over within. You know, uh, Bibi should hour. go that route himself. Some, they should drop Bibi out of a plane uh, with or without a parachute, you know, over one of these tunnel openings and let Bibi go in there and save those hostages. That's the only. That's the only scenario that's 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 going to save Netanyahu, and it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You said he's a gambler. They, he is a gambler. I'm not denying that. I don't know if and, he's courageous I, I, gambler. I don't know whether he understands odds, though. You can be a gambler and not understand odds, and the odds are against him here. There's not going to be a quick and easy solution to the hostage crisis because it's contingent on the tunnel crisis, and that's not going to be easy or short or in any way, shape, or form. Okay, that's where that's going. And how, how about these all these Jewish crackdowns happening? What are they? Well, uh, this was where I got the headline was from Eric Stryker's article about the Jewish crackdown on the pro-Palestine left. But let's start with this crackdown on this lawyer who confronted John Fetterman. The guy's name is Dan Kavalik. And he tried, demanded from Fetterman, this kind of zombie-like uh, Congress creature, uh, why aren't you supporting a ceasefire? And he wasn't, you know, he wasn't being physically abusive or threatening or anything like that. But very quickly, the security just brutally uh, you know, got him out of there. Boom, boom, just shoved him out of there. You know, like he, anyway, uh, th this is just one example of the kind of clashes. And, you know, they, they've arrested hundreds and hundreds of pro-Palestine protesters now in the U.S. and, and Europe. And it seems like there's a, a Jewish crackdown uh, element to this. Well, yeah. So Congress is a hopeless case. It's uh, Israeli occupied territory, as Pat Buchanan used to say. But the the significant uh, uh, theater here is academe, uh, particularly Harvard. 
Harvard University, where uh, they re- they always believed in free speech. They they even allowed me to speak. Wow. Uh, but th- this was 1992. I gave uh, a talk uh, on the Negro as a paradigm of sexual liberation that got everybody's knickers in a twist. At the Harvard Crimson at the end of the year, 25 big events. And my uh, talk was three of the 25 big events that happened during that year. That was then. This is now. They're not Going inviting back. you back every year now? No, they're not inviting me back. Uh, but uh, back then, uh, the talk was uh, about uh, just a Jewish uh, participation in Harvard. Uh, there are a lot of Jews here. Over this period, the last 30 years, the Jews have completely taken over Harvard University. It is a totally Jewish university now, and Jewish rules apply. And believe me, veritas, which is the motto of Harvard, is not a part of the Jewish vocabulary. They don't believe it. They believe the truth is the opinion of the powerful, and they believe that money talks. Nobody walks, as the shill used to say out on South Street in Philadelphia. Okay, so all the big donors now happen to be Jewish at Harvard, and they're all threatening to pull out their money. Uh, this is the this is the 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 real is not so much Congress, although that's important, but uh, 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 this is the end of academe. But but what about this the students, the, Mike? Even in these sort of you know heavily Jewish Ivy League schools, there are all kinds of pro Palestine protests going on. We have to distinguish between the Jews. And uh, Jews, uh, individual Jews, obviously, the big the big movers and shakers are the Jews with money. They determine the policy. It's not these kids uh, who show up and protest. Of course, they're going to be Jewish protesters against what's happening because they're human beings. And what is happening in Gaza is offensive to anyone who has a conscience. Okay, so obviously, but the point is that this the Jews control Harvard, the big money people, the big organizations, all of those people, and the little Jews are not happy. But the point here is that uh, are are is there anyone left who can save Harvard? Uh, anyone believe in Veritas at Harvard? This is something we should meditate on this uh, at this moment in time. Well, Ron Ellens set up this committee to try to save Harvard by way of looking at the ethnic admissions issue. And that's a long story. Better not go into the details of that. Anyway, there's this Jewish crackdown, quote unquote, happening all over the place. Eric Stryker uh, talks about the crackdown on the pro-Palestine left. And so this Jewish power configuration, these uh, wealthy and powerful tribal Jews that support Israel that you're talking about are indeed persecuting the whole pro-Palestine left, which itself is probably somewhat disproportionately Jewish, too. Uh, but that doesn't change the fact that in terms of Jew, of the power of uh, of Jews collectively, that the vast majority of that power is still lined up behind the genocide in Palestine. Yeah, I think a crucial th- uh, factor in this was the takeover of the democratic takeover of the ADL uh, when Jonathan Greenblatt became uh, became its, its uh, CEO. Yeah, that that eliminated a certain uh, a certain voice. Uh, it was done in, in, to to uh, facilitate the Black Jewish Alliance, which they always thought was their big money money earner or, or prestige earner. Uh, but there's an element there of of centralization where you're going to eliminate. Uh, a, you're going to determine what is left now, just as the 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 is is the are the Jews 
in control of the Democratic Party or is the Democratic Party in control of the Jews? Either way, there are certain elements now that are going to be winnowed out. And that's the the uh, the left, the 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 left outside of the Democratic Party. People like Norman Finkelstein and maybe Noam Chomsky, people like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like this large number of young people these days who are probably not going to be real uh, enthused about supporting somebody like Biden if if he is indeed the nominee in the next uh, election. Uh, well, Eric Stryker points out that this is going to erode the civil liberties of those who dare criticize what the Jews are doing to both whites in the occupied West and Palestine, Palestinians in the occupied territories. And that's an interesting comparison. I've often talked about the U.S. being occupied. Uh, I haven't talked about it in terms of whites, though. Um, what do you think of Eric Stryker's way of framing this? I think of white is a is a false flag. I think mm-hmm. it's a it's a, a category of the mind that gets imposed on uh, people for political reasons. That's the it came into being in Virginia. There was a play in London right around the time of the Virginia colony where they used white for the first time, and it was used to distri- to split the proletariat from uh, black and, and white. I've watched this thing happen. I've been been intimately involved in it because I think it's uh, identity theft that got perpetrated on Catholics over the course of the uh, post-World War II period. So when you were in uh, uh, um, Marquette Park uh, in Chicago, uh, you were a Lithuanian. Okay, and you had some type and a Catholic and you had some type of right uh, to be there, so on and so forth. As soon as Martin Luther King showed up, uh, they became white. And as soon as they became white, they lost the battle because as soon as you're white, you're bad because blacks are good. Well, that, that's, what, that, that's what Eric Stryker is trying to change. You know, he's one of these people who are saying, hey, let's be proud of being white. Let's defend our own interests and that sort of thing. No, I think it's a, I think it's a losing game. First of all, I'm not white. I'm I'm biracial. I'm German and Irish and I'm Catholic. <laughs> yeah, and me these too. Are, these, these are the identity markers. Do you wake up, uh, Kevin, and look in the mirror and say, there's a white guy there or uh, I don't. You know, no, I, I never, never did think that way. Uh, but you know, now that I'm a Irish, German, Muslim, you know, quasi Moroccan, uh, I'm even more confused. But rather than get deeply into that, let's move on to Meta, where uh, they turns out, you know, surprise, surprise, that Zuckerberg is not exactly helpful to the Palestinian cause. I can't imagine why that would be. Instagram is hiding Palestinian flag emojis. I mean, they're working really hard to try to stop this mass uh, resurgence of of pro-Palestine sentiment across the internet and as well as in these huge protests that have been breaking out. But it doesn't look to me like they're managing to keep a lid on it. Well, Zuckerberg comes from Harvard. He stole yeah. Facebook from two rowers, yeah, the Winkle, right. the Winklevoss twins. Yeah. Uh, it's in a movie now where Larry Summers, they come to Larry Summers and say, you should do something. He stole it from us. And Larry Summers said, well, invent something else. So he got this idea from the Harvard that we've already talked about, which had been taken over by Jews and run for Jewish interests. So why wouldn't he run whatever it's called now, Facebook or whatever it is, according to the, the same principles? Mm-hmm. Makes sense to yeah. me. Yeah. And Kevin McDonald uh, has an ideology not too far away from Eric Stryker's. Both of those guys are kind of in this white identity uh, celebrating thing. And of course, Kevin McDonald is the leading intellectual behind that. I've had him on the radio a number of times, including just like a week or two ago. And his analysis of why Jews are so influential relies on uh, psychology 
and a kind of historical evolutionary approach. I, I find that there's quite there's a lot to it. I don't fully agree with Kevin McDowell's approach, but uh, I think, again, like Ron Unz's article, this is an article that you could show people who are, they freak out when you talk about the Jews. And if you say, well, if you're willing to spend some time to figure out what we're talking about, you know, read this and read that. And one of the things that you, you'd want people to read would be Kevin McDonald. Yeah, I think he's a, a, a great thinker in spite of his, the ideology that cripples him. Kevin McDonald's a Catholic. He was baptized a Catholic. He went to uh, Wisconsin when the Jews were taking it over. He had a traumatic experience there. I think that was bound up with the sexual revolution. He abandoned his Catholic faith. That created a vacuum because in America, you're either Protestant, Catholic, or Jew as your ethnic identity. And the vacuum was filled by being white, whatever that means. I don't know what it means. Uh, uh, so how is it going to explain Jewish behavior is because of their DNA? That's the only option. And then you get into this middle ground where he gets into culture. And when you get into culture, uh, you're kind of on my turf, uh, more than on the biological turf. And so there's always this kind of, uh, I mean, much as I admire a lot of the stuff that he's done, whenever he's empirical and sticks to the facts, he's always on target. As soon as he gets theoretical, he he loses me I, I, because it becomes incoherent. Yeah, I, I would actually tend to agree with that. Uh, but he does a good job on some of the empirical facts. Uh, so who are the Christians of Gaza? Well, our media has completely erased them, even as the Israelis are literally erasing them. Um, the majority of Christians in Gaza are Greek Orthodox. There's something like a thousand Christians in Gaza, but there's also a Catholic church in Gaza as well. And uh, the uh, Greek Orthodox church recently released a video of the parish children praying with the bombs going off in the background. Uh, so Mike, why is it that the U.S., supposedly Christian country, has no idea that this is a massacre of Christians as well as Muslims? Uh, for same reason, uh, they, it's basically the Protestant Catholic split. Uh, the Protestants have been colonized. The evangelicals have been colonized by this, uh, Schofield Bible ideology. They look, uh, uh, uh people, they've always looked at Catholics and Orthodox as, as having dubious Christian, Christian identity, largely because they're Americans and have that kind of myopic, ahistorical approach to things. It's a tragedy. I tweeted that picture, by the way, and I said, God hears the cry of the poor. And I I still feel hopeful. I feel hopeful. This is not going to succeed. It's not going to succeed on BB's terms. It's not going to succeed. Yeah. I, I, I would bet on that. And I'm not a reckless gambler like uh, Netanyahu. That's right. Okay. Let it backfire as quickly as possible. Uh, well, all we hear about in the media pretty much is anti-Semitism, anti-Semitism, Holocaust, Holocaust, Holocaust. That's how they're trying to frame this to excuse the genocide going on in Palestine. And one of these episodes that happened today, which is going to lead into our next section, the mental health issues section, was uh, that this young man, uh, Dai, as his last name, or Dai, I guess, uh, who had a severe history of depression, and no history of violence, but he supposedly made some online anti-Semitic threats against Jews. And suddenly, whoa, it's the end of the world. It's the new Holocaust. It's, you know, the part of this endless feeding frenzy on such things. I mean, normally you'd think this would be kind of a minor deal. I mean, there's all kinds of horrible stuff being said online. But um, this is like front page news. We'll never forget about this. There's a terrible threat to Jews. Anti-Semitism is rearing its ugly head. The new Holocaust is upon us. Um, I'm getting tired of hearing that. I am too. 
Uh, I think the main question here is, uh, was he taking Prozac? Was he taking SSRIs uh, because he has a history of mental illness? One of the symptoms or one of the results of SSRIs is mass shootings. So maybe this is a guy heading in that direction because of the drugs, the drugs that he's taking. Uh, but the other question that's left out, what about the the uh, the Jews at Harvard doxing pro-Palestinian yeah. demonstrators? Why is it, where's the headline for that? Where is the outrage uh, coming about for that? This is all, you know, one sided, one way, one way street here. Yeah, absolutely. And let's face it, Arab and Muslim Americans are probably getting a lot more uh, violent threats and actual violence than Jews are right now, because, of course, the Jews are using the media to whip up endless incitement and hatred. Yeah, uh, that's against right. The Palestinians. That's right. And by the way, what about hate speech? Uh, remember, remember uh, YouTube and this big thing about hate speech? You've got one video after another of Jews saying that we, we need to exterminate the Palestinians. We need to exterminate Gaza. Isn't that hate speech? Why is it? Why didn't Google take down these? And why videos? aren't they all being arrested like this guy is? Yeah, why not? Okay, well, because the country's got mental health issues. That's one answer. And that's one reason I left the United States is uh, the mental health issues. Uh, so here's a piece by Joaquim Hagopian on the drastic deterioration of America's crumbling mental health. And Joaquim, is, he's a mental health professional. And he points out, you know, there's this highly toxic, lethal mix, bad economy and COVID and yada, yada, yada. And he adds the ever-growing danger of world war, potential nuclear annihilation, Puppet governments willfully enacting policies that facilitate suicidal anti-human enslavement in blind obedience to their master's genocidal orders. And we begin to realize the Rothschild Khazarian Mafia, City of London, World Economic Forum crowd are intent on bombarding billions of us humans to death within the next several years. Well, some people would say, yeah, maybe that guy has a mental health issue, too. I don't know. Frankly, I think that that analysis might be saner than the total denial of it. What do you think? I I'm skeptical here. If you want my <laughs> my feeling, I think family breakup is the fundamental driver of uh, mental mental stress in children. And if you don't address yeah. that issue, you're not going to address you're not addressing the problem. So, uh, you know, let's take a talk about divorce. Do you think that has something to do with uh, stress in children? Uh, what about sexual liberation that leads to divorce? What about pornography? What about all these things? By the way, did you know that the rabbi is the head of Pornhub? Did you know that? Yeah, yeah. I think we covered that on the show a while back. Yeah. So so the question is, so what happens is when someone shows stress and he's in a public school setting, uh, they give him they give him Prozac. They give him drugs, which exacerbate the whole thing. So there's the medical industry is like the uh, the arsonist who pretends to be part of the fire department here. I, if you're going to, I mean, I'm, I I agree with a lot of what he's saying there, but I I think it's misplaced if you're going to talk about uh, the causes of mental mental health. Yeah, no, I think I think you're absolutely right. And, and likewise, like with, you know, we talk about the, the problems in the african-american community and nobody talks about the fact that actually it's not the conservatives who send the police in to police the black community they're causing the worst problems it's the liberals who changed the welfare laws and the morality to basically destroy the black family that are probably the most responsible so yeah i think you're right i think that is the biggest single cause of america's mental health issues is one reason why morocco is slightly saner than america because the family here in morocco is a lot healthier and more intact than the American family. Well, you wrote this great piece, Mike, uh, a satirical piece after my own heart 
uh, on the bowlers of Lewiston deserving to die. It's, it's pretty hard-edged, dark humor satire, uh, almost almost bleaker than stuff I write most of the time. Uh, no, no, wait, that's going too far, Kevin. Nothing, <laughs> okay, no, maybe. Nothing's bleaker than the stuff you write. No. But I do have to, uh, I have to say again what I mentioned earlier in the program. This is about this guy, rabbi, a rabbi by the name of Dove Fisher, who was saying, uh, taking the Amalek doctrine to its logical conclusion by saying that there are no innocent people out there. And the people of Dresden deserve to die in the fire bombing because Dresden voted for Hitler. And the people in Gaza deserve to die. No innocent non-combatants. Kill the women and children, too, because they voted for Hamas. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to accept this as a principle, the logical conclusion is all of those bowlers in Lewiston deserve to die because they voted for Donald Trump. That's right. Yeah, well, they're white. They're doing a white supremacist sport, namely bowling, and they voted for Trump. Yeah, I guess the rabbi would have to uh, call in the uh, IDF for airstrikes on that bowling Let's, alley if this guy hadn't it, shot him and shot him up. Yeah, if Rabbi Dove uh, is listening, please tell us why, where the logical flaw here is in my argument, because I think it's only the logical conclusion of the premises that this guy is spouting off in what calls it to, uh, as a man of God in what calls itself a conservative magazine. That's right. I mean, even you know the people who defend the Palestinian resistance going after unarmed Israeli settlers because they're settlers and hence legitimate targets under the laws of war are certainly not going to defend that on an industrial scale. There's going to be at least some kind of proportionality there. Uh, whereas these uh, Israelis, it seems like it's like just kill everybody. Uh, it's completely off the charts, uh, crazy. And uh, a lot of it gets, you know, they excuse this by playing the Holocaust, get out of jail free card. As uh, here was Mayorkas, like you call him out on this millions of illegals crossing the border, and it's his job to try to keep some order down there. But he reminds you that his uh, he's a Holocaust or a child of Holocaust survivors, so that means he doesn't have to do his job, I guess. That's the purpose of the Holocaust narrative. It has always been to excuse immoral behavior, whatever it is, whether it's pornography or genocide, whatever it is. Uh, the classic example in Canada was uh, uh, the Henry Morgenthaler, who uh, created the abortion clinics all throughout, illegal abortion clinics all throughout Canada. Whenever the police would approach him, he'd roll up his sleeve and there was the Auschwitz tattoo, which gave him the, the get out of jail free card to continue promoting uh, uh, atrocities in the name, uh, uh, saying that he, because the Holocaust puts him above the moral law. No one is above the moral law. Yeah, amen. <laughs> Uh, well, we tell the truth about this stuff on False Flag Weekly News, and it's getting more and more dangerous to tell the truth, says Mark Crispin Miller. And I thought this was a, a pretty good compilation of examples of the uh, increasing uh, crackdown on various forms of truth telling. Yes. And it's going we we are living. We are fortunate enough to live in an era where we can stand up for the truth in a way that will have an effect on world history. So. I'm glad I'm here. You're here. And I'm glad you, I'm glad you're here too. All right. <laughs> and a shout out to Mark Crispin Miller for uh for his work. One of these days I'll get him on the show and we'll uh talk about whatever he disagrees with me about that's kept him off the show in the past. So that the doom agenda would be pretty much our near final category here. The world leaders are gathering in, in the UK. There's an AI summit and doom is on the agenda. That sounds ominous. 
Yeah, uh, if you don't believe in God, yeah, it is. But God is in charge of human history. God, man proposes, God disposes, and I see signs of hope simply on, on a natural level, but th they're always contextualized by the supernatural level, which is that God is in charge of human history, and he tolerates evil because he has to, because man, he created man with a free will, but he takes evil and turns it into good as the ultimate outcome of human history. Amen. So they won't be able to kill off God with AI and they won't be able to replace God or create God with AI. As some of them actually say, that's I've, I've heard this from an AI proponent that, you know, the whole point of this that, is to create something that, that would be basically to create God. This, <laughs> this is the, the gist. Uh, uh, if, if night is a crucial Holocaust text, what is the lesson of night? A.D. Wiesel's book about the Holocaust. God died at Auschwitz. That means we can do those Jews can do anything. They can kill you. They can they can violate the moral law. That seems appealing in the 1950s. It's no longer appealing now. Okay, yeah, that's that's well. that's the that's the ultimate lesson of the Holocaust narrative. God died at Auschwitz. No, God didn't die. He's still in charge, and he's pissed. He's pissed at the way the Israelis are behaving. Yeah. Well. Uh... The U.S. isn't that much better. I mean, it's, you, well, at least the leadership of the U.S., which is largely backing up the Israelis, although you've offered us some hope that they'll exert a moderating influence somewhere along the line. Well, they're not moderating the Israeli bombs being dropped on civilians yet, but we can uh, hope and pray for that. Meanwhile, the U.S. is going to be feeding its troops Fukushima, Fukushima seafood. Uh, I guess you don't even have to throw it in the microwave. It just glows on its own. <laughs> and we're, we're expecting that those troops are going to probably start exhibiting a higher rate of gender mutations. Here's some examples <laughs> of some gender mutated American troops who've been eating Fukushima seafood. <laughs> and, uh, here's our slideshow. And uh, there's this is, the, this is the person who's going to march off to save you from uh, from Putin and the CCP. <laughs> And, uh, and, and and maybe the Israelis or the Gazans or the Iranians or whoever. Uh, well, good luck with that. And if she can't do it, then, of course, divine will. So happy Fourth of July out of season to all of you. Thank you, Dr. E. Michael Jones, for uh, your uh, always excellent commentary. Keep up the great work and God bless. Thank you. OK, bye bye.